Well, you may go ahead and be seated. And uh, I'm, Ruben is making his way up, and uh, most, for most of you, he doesn't need any introduction, but I know that we have some visitors or those who are newer with us here today, so I just wanted to be able to introduce to you Ruben Todd, who has been a part of our community for just under, he and his family for just under a few years, and so many of you know him and have come to find he and his family as a blessing, which they are. Um, and uh, so he's going to be bringing us the word from Matthew chapter 12 today. And uh, he was um, gracious enough to step in on a really busy week for me and my family as we were doing a bunch of work to our home. And so that absorbed uh, some of the time that otherwise we would have had to spend elsewhere. So that was a blessing. So Ruben, if you don't know, is the director of Christ the King Center over in Greenwich which is where both our men will be gathering later this week from Thursday through Saturday to retreat together. And also, as you'll hear during announcements, where we're going to be gathering next Sunday for another outdoor worship service on their grounds. Um, Ruben is also a part of our Explore Eldership Collective, which is a, a, a collective of a couple of guys, along with Pastor Matt and myself, who are working through what it means to be an elder or a pastor in a local church setting. Ruben's preached here before, so some of you have heard him, but I just wanted to be able to um, uh, introduce him once again, and I'm going to pray for him before he preaches here. Father, we do ask that you would bless our brother, and for many of us, our friend, Reuben, as he brings your word to us. We know that um, the power is in your word, but you also, Lord, have just incredibly called us as your servants to be conduits of your truth in word and in deed. And so we pray, Father, that you would anoint him this morning to bring your word with the kind of um, power that would, um, that none of us would leave here unchanged today. So we pray your Holy Spirit would impress on our hearts the truths that we need to be convicted by, encouraged by, and built up by this morning. And we just pray that uh, he would find joy even in being the deliverer of um, the message that you have for us today. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. It's good to see, uh, it's good to see everyone. Um, mostly, uh, um, I was able to do this this morning already. So this is uh, second time through, and, which is a little strange. Um, that's not my habit. Um, but it's also, it's also good to have seen both halves of our church. So uh, we're, we're looking forward uh, next weekend to once again gathering all together at Christ the King Center and, uh, and, sh- and being able to, to sing and, uh, and not having to wear masks because we're outside. And uh, we're just looking forward to gathering again. But it's good to be here this morning. And I, I do appreciate uh, the opportunity and the introduction, Daniel. And uh, uh, I was just laughing while you, while you said that because we had talked in between services. Uh, Daniel's probably got much more experience preaching than I do, and I've probably got much more experience working on houses than he does, so I'm not sure that was a good trade on our part, but it was, uh, it's what Lord ordained, so. Um, okay, okay, thanks. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, I, I know you all um, dutifully watched uh, the service last week, and, uh, and our brother Matt um, did a great recap of where we were in the book of Matthew and about um, the overview of that. I think that's, uh, I just wanted to start with that uh, because I think it's important that we always remember that no matter what, we, when we read the scriptures, it's part of a context. So this, uh, our scripture this morning are part, is part of a, a grander narrative that spans many more chapters than we have time to look at this morning. 
but we have to remember where it is in the terms of the flow of that space. So uh, I've got some teachers in the room, and, uh, but you all know that if we were studying any kind of uh, classic literature, we would never just take six lines out of Hamlet and, and say this is what that means without, without understanding what, where those six lines were in terms of the whole play. So this is even more so important that we remember that, uh, that Matthew is, is writing to the church uh, that's fairly new, that's a mix of Jews and Gentiles, and he's, and he's presenting the story of Jesus to, to tell us that he is the culmination of what the Old Testament looked forward to and described as the Messiah, and that he was the, was the, the culmination of the, the roles that God described for Israel of prophet, priest, and king. So he is, he is the, the, he's coming into the world to bring the kingdom of God, to earth, and, um, and, he's, and he's coming to do it uh, as prophet, priest, and king, and as, uh, and as the answer to all those things that the Old Testament looked, looked forward to. Uh, specifically, in the lead-up to this morning's passage, we remember that last week uh, Jesus was, um, you know, getting in some trouble with, uh, with the local authorities. Uh, he, he healed a man on the Sabbath. Uh, and uh, the, the Pharisees who were, were responsible for making sure that uh, people followed the Old Testament law, they took issue with that because, you know, you could just say that that was work on the Sabbath day when we weren't supposed to work. And so they were, uh, they were kind of, they were giving Jesus some grief. And so that's, that's what we lead up to this passage uh, that we're reading this morning. So it's uh, Matthew chapter 12, if you're following along. Uh, and uh, the assigned scripture is verses 15 through 21. I'm going to start with Verse 14, because I think it's important uh, as we lead in to the passage. The Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all, and he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. I think the main idea uh, that I'm going to be talking about this morning, um, if I had to boil it down, is that, is that God's way, Jesus' way, is not our way. And the way that Jesus came to earth to fulfill those prophecy, prophecies is not what we expect, it's not what they expected, it's not what humanity expects from from leaders. So Jesus has this confrontation, he has this opportunity, right, with people that that he's in charge of. He's the Lord of all, and these Pharisees have claimed to follow Yahweh and claimed to follow uh, God, who is Jesus incarnate at this moment. But instead of confrontation, instead of of, uh, walking into that confrontation, Jesus does three things. First is that he withdrew. It wasn't time for the showdown. It wasn't time for that. Uh, just like when he slipped away from the crowds that sought to stone him, uh, he knew that it wasn't his time. And he, he was going to run his own plan. And he was not going to let anyone else uh, run it for him. The second thing he did was he healed them all. 
So this wasn't a, a, a passive move on his part. He wasn't like saying, okay, you win, I'm gonna just back off. He kept doing the things that they were opposing him for, right? They didn't want him to be healing people on the Sabbath. They didn't want him to do that stuff. Well, he, he kept healing them. So that, that tells us that maybe he left to just de-escalate that situation, again, because it wasn't time for that. It wasn't time for those confrontations. The third thing he did was that he ordered them not to make it known. Well, this is, for me anyway, and maybe for some of you, that's a hard one to understand. There's, there's other places in Scripture where Jesus heals someone and then says to them, just keep it to yourself. Don't, don't spread that around. Of course, we have, uh, we have lots of stories of people who did anyway. And, uh, and I wonder if maybe we only have the stories of the people who said it anyway. I wonder if it was Jesus' regular habit to say, just keep this quiet. Um, I bet there were many, many more people who just quietly accepted their gift of healing and obeyed the instruction out of thanksgiving. And I'm, I wonder if the people who didn't obey, the people who, uh, who just spread it broadly, I wonder if they were inadvertently participating with Judas, trying to force Jesus to be the savior they wanted instead of the one God sent. Well, Matthew's a great writer. He might have anticipated our question. Why did Jesus order them not to make him known? And he answers uh, with this prophecy. Uh, So this is a prophecy from Isaiah. Again, uh, context is important. So the prophet Isaiah wrote all of these things many, many years before, centuries before. He had a lot to say to Israel uh, about the way they were living, and he had a lot to say about what to expect from the future. So there's lots of references uh, in Isaiah to the coming Messiah, to the kingdom of God, and what that's going to look like. Uh, So this is just one of those prophecies where Isaiah is explaining what the Messiah is going to be like. So he says this, This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. The bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. So what does this prophecy explain about why he ordered them not to make him known? Well, firstly, verse 18 establishes that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, so Matthew is clearly saying this is, a, this is an answer to that, that Old Testament prophecy. So if anyone ever says that the Bible doesn't say Jesus is the Messiah, it does. Here's one example out of hundreds. Verse 19, he talks about not quarreling or crying aloud. Um, The way that Jesus is bringing his kingdom into the world, it's not a vocal orchestrated movement the way that we would orchestrate a movement, right? This is not a a marketing campaign. This is not a social media platform. This is not, uh, this is not the the way, it's not a big show. You know, uh, humanly, when we're looking for leaders, we often, we want those dramatic statements. We want those big shows. Um, And the natural human condition is, is to want to be part of a team, want to be part of a movement, right? We, whoops, sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we want to be part of something big. Um, but Jesus' life was not a, a manufactured campaign. He, his ways are not our ways. 
Instead, he was a slow-moving, quiet force, moving the kingdom of God slow, slowly that as he moved through the grass, he wasn't breaking the bruised reeds. He, he was creating no, no wind behind him that would quench uh, a smoldering wick. Um, you know, we, we would have expected Jesus to, to confront the Pharisees, you know, a dramatic showdown, a sudden uh, vindication of the position. Uh, we, we have this sort of need to, to, to see people storm the gates and take the city, as it were. But that's not Jesus' way. And in the end of verse 21, it says, until he brings justice to victory. How did Jesus bring justice to victory? On the cross, by dying, by sacrificing himself for us, for you, for me. Justice was brought to victory, but God's way is not like our way. When, when we're reading a book or watching a movie and the, the hero dies, we don't immediately think, well, now they've won. Uh, we think that's the end. How, how can that be the end? Because God's way is above our, our way. The kingdom of God doesn't follow our rules or expectations. It doesn't answer to our human desires. God calls us to be renewed in our minds, to change our priorities and our perceptions. He wants to make us new. and He wants to bring his kingdom about through us. So, I ask you to reflect a little this morning. How have you allowed human expectations to shape the expectations of our church? The expectations for our leadership? Are we looking even subtly for a church that starts a campaign against the world? Are we looking for sermons that can be broken down into sound bites? to rally the people who think alike or to smugly mock the ones who think differently? Do we seek out a persona of a leader, a certain persona, even as we overlook weaknesses in that person? I think collectively, you know, from church history, I think we can say yes. I don't think we have to look that hard um, to find examples, recent and historical of fallen church leaders where their inner circle has failed to keep them accountable for various reasons. So yes, it's possible for Christians even to allow their human expectations of leadership to shape the way that they do uh, church and the way that they follow. Um, one of the things I love about Terra Nova is that there is a network of elders that goes beyond this location and uh, those elders have chosen to keep each other accountable. And there's a real uh, humility of leadership there that uh, because they're aware of this, of this shortfall, they're aware of, this, of this, um, this pitfall, I guess is the better word, and, uh, and they want to be, they, they be above board about that. So I think that's, that's something that we can be grateful for and, and continue to pray for our elders of the network, uh, and certainly for Dan, Daniel, and Matt as well. Um, well, maybe you don't have those expectations for other people. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you, none of this is landing home for you. Uh, but maybe you have them for yourself. I wonder if consciously or unconsciously, we might get like a little bit of a hero complex about what we can or can't do.
before God. But uh, that's not how we're supposed to be thinking about it either. Because that's, uh, that's asking for more from us than Jesus uh, is asking for us. So, so what's the draw then? If, if Jesus' leadership style is so different from what we would, uh, what we would humanly in our sinful nature uh, seek after, what's drawing, what's drawing us to Jesus? Well, I think the big difference between a human leader, between that persona, that, that, uh, that big movement, and Jesus is that he wants to know you personally. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want you to be a nameless face in a, in a throng. He wants to heal you. He wants to heal your hurts, your wounds. He wants to carry your weights, your burdens. See, the people that came to Jesus looking for a political figure didn't get what they wanted. And the people who came to Jesus looking for religious vindication didn't get what they wanted. But the people who came to Jesus for healing, he healed them all. And he wants to heal you. No matter how often we need reminding, Jesus is always calling us to be part of what he is doing in the world. So are we content to follow Jesus who has already brought justice to victory through the cross and lead our quiet lives in promotion of his kingdom? One of the favorite quotes I have uh, is from a guy named Michael Hyatt, and uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've heard of him, but uh, the quote is, faithful is the new radical. And uh, in, in the context of when he wrote that, it was, was saying about how we all have this longing to sort of do something grand and do something, you know, that you would write a story about. But, but the truth is what we're called to is a simple, faithful life. And a simple, faithful life and doing things God's way is what transforms the world. It's what brings his kingdom into being. What if the most radical thing you could do, the most kingdom-expanding thing, was to love God and love your neighbor? In the, in the Book of Common Prayer, there's a common confession uh, in the Anglican uh, services where they, where the corporately as a church would read aloud. Um, and the, the line that sums up what our sin is, says, we have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. So what would it look like to love God and love your neighbor? To be a son or a daughter that brought joy to your parents. To be a spouse that consistently tried to put the other's needs before your own. To just quietly be a light in the darkness. A person who others sought out for their calming, healing presence, even as you tried to make less of yourself and more of Christ. I hope that the Spirit's working on you this morning. Hope that as we've been studying this and reading this and thinking about the way that God's way is not our way, that the Spirit has reminded you of some attitude or perspective that needs to change.
And I invite you to ask God to forgive you and to change you. If it's something really, really um, big or, or deep-rooted, you might need help with that, and that's, that's good. Find someone to pray with. Uh, Pastor Daniel or your, uh, your tribe leader. Seek someone out to pray with you. Because our, our passage this morning ends with this proclamation. In his name, the Gentiles will hope. And we can hope in him. We can place our trust in him because he brought justice to victory through the cross. Because he can and wants to heal us, our bodies, our minds, and our souls. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you want to break the kingdom in slowly and quietly through our hearts. We thank you that you seek us individually and that you can offer healing. God, I pray that you would help us to just cling to that. Just cling to the, the, the knowledge that you want to know us personally. And that the way that you want to transform us uh, takes very little from, from us. But just that we love you and love our neighbor enough to share you with them. Amen.